Welcome to Calling use, calling All Useful Idiots. This is the call-in show for useful idiots. We do this after our Monday morning live stream. Um, please do, of course, rate and review this show. It's a podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Also, please do uh, subscribe to us at YouTube. That's youtube.com slash useful idiots. You can also subscribe to us at Rumble. Uh, support the show and get extra content at usefulidiots.substack.com. You get extended interviews and a whole great feature called um, uh, Thursday Throwdown. You also get to take part in these chats on Tuesdays at noon, which are very fun. Um, chats on Substack. And uh, yeah, you can also find uh, if you're more into local and if you're more into Rumble uh, and locals, you can find it dot uh, locals.com. All righty. Let's see. Aaron is here, so we're going to start. Let me make him a moderator. Okay, got a lot of questions for Daniel. <clears throat> Unmute yourself. Yes, I have. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, I wanted to um, ask Aaron Matei a favor because he's looking into the Twitter files. And um, basically what I wanted to ask if Aaron Matei, while he's going through these Twitter files, to be on the lookout for any suppressions of voters' guides. Because uh, for the last, since 2017, I've been doing a bicycles voters' guide for the city of San Antonio. I noticed in 2017, I got 2,500 views on my, um, on my blog post, which is on Blogspot, uh, Bike San Antonio. And I noticed that I managed to give, I believe, at least a thousand votes to one of the uh, candidates that are considered undesirable. Um, because when you go for a local county election or city election, you get like seven or eight people running for office. And there's usually two or three top tier candidates and the rest, you know, barely making the pie, getting noticed by the local newspapers and stuff. I managed to change his election from Ivy Taylor to Ron Nuremberg in San Antonio. And I noticed that the preceding years, the preceding other elections, I got fewer and fewer people to where in 2019, no, 2021, excuse me, I barely got 800 views. And I know this is mainly, I noticed that the group, the bicycling community in San Antonio is mainly on Facebook, but I'm just wondering, was there any directives that he can be on the lookout for any of those directives saying, Hey, suppress this person or suppress that person. I'm not saying I'm going to be on that list, but I'm just wondering if there's a directive to keep those things headed in the algorithm. Okay. That's Daniel, all. I got you. I can't promise you anything because there's, you know, Oh, I know you can't because thousands of files yeah, and, and of stuff requests, like that. And, and also I'm not, I'm not that involved. I'm not in, as involved as I'd like to be. I just cause I'm working on other stuff right now, but I, but I'll, but I will write it down and I'll let you know, if I find anything, if I manage to look for it, but I, I just can't promise you anything. I know you can't. I know. I just want somebody to be on the lookout for it. That's all. Um, that's pretty much it. Unless you want me to continue to talk about TikTok and stuff, I'd rather leave it to the other callers. 
Well, you know, Daniel, you know what? Go ahead, share your thoughts because our, our caller list still, is still not so long. We'll give you more time. Go ahead. Well, the, I believe that last picture of that, I forget who that guy was talking about TikTok, you know, keeping it off your phones and how China wants to influence the world. Well, every major government does that in some form or another with social media. To say that China doesn't do it is no different than the United States wants to do it. That's all it is. <laughs> they're, they're so afraid of China, China to influence politics. I don't want to say you do not. <laughs> and it has, it's not a cell phone. You're being spied on as we speak. Again, everyone in the call-in app, you're being spied on. Uh, there's no need to give out RFID tags and put them on your skin anymore. You have a tracking device. That's, and if there's plenty of back doors for the NSA, if the NSA has your data, uh, name the government you hate the most, ha foreign government you hate the most having your data. They do. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I've long thought it just that this is supposed to be our lane, spying, spying on Americans. Uh, it's supposed to be America. Um, well, it's not our lane. I think it's Five Eyes. You heard of that that group of people? That yeah. group between? Yeah. So they can't legally do it. So they go to another country. Oh, look, the other country's spying on you. Yeah, but we know the NSA did that, right? So that was an example. Yeah. That's pretty much it. It's not about right. spying. It's about influencing people. And yet, if if this has if this act can be accessed by Chinese people, just like um, we have seen that the United States officials can um, pretty much dictate what goes on Twitter and Facebook and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's something to be worried about. But you're not going to stop it by making it's just going to go to other platforms that's all right yeah well thanks daniel good all right point. you have a good day you too all right andrew make next caller hey Katie. Hey, guys make sure you get on the column because last couple of weeks we've had um <coughs> uh people online who who couldn't we couldn't get to all of them. So try to get, if you're going to, you may want to ask a question, even if you don't know what the question is, just get on the queue. All right. Just get on and chat and say good morning. How yeah. are you guys doing? Good, Andrew. You? Um, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Um, just been super busy. I, I went, to, I was able to go back to the U.S. for the first time in like a year and a half. And I was there for a work trip and I went to South Dakota for the first time. And it was like at night, it was like negative 16 Fahrenheit. Um, wow. And then I came back to Mexico and, and I went to the, the beach with a bunch of my family here. And it was like 95 degrees. Wow. <laughs> so I, just, I just got, um, uh, you know, super freezed and then thawed in really too quick of a time. But I'm doing good. It was fun. What, be what beach in Mexico? Um, I went to Acapulco um, oh. with like 45 people from my uh, my wife's family. Wow. Um, 
so we all just like pitched in like 30 bucks a piece and rented this house and went and took the bus around and had a good time i got sunburned that was cool oh not good that's okay i put it on three times actually in like six hours but i was swimming oh okay got it anyways yeah would recommend um maybe maybe not uh right in acapulco if you don't like a ton of like people and resort type of crowds which i don't really but the water was still super nice yeah i love mexico yeah yeah i i know i i wanted to talk about um mexico with you guys actually uh politically if you're yeah if you're up for it um i've been kind of worried since the beginning of the year when dan crenshaw and some other republicans started making noise about we need to deploy the U.S. military to attack the cartels in northern Mexico, yeah. um, particularly the Sinaloa cartel uh, was the beneficiary of an ATF program called Fast and Furious, you both right. are probably familiar with. Yeah, um, but maybe just give a 10-second explanation for the listeners who aren't. Yeah, yeah so Fast and Furious was, um, the best I can understand, it basically was like a post- uh, you know, like post media blunder way to try and recover face for the alcohol, tobacco and firearms agency where yeah. they had given a ton of arms, like rev- relatively heavy weaponry, um, you know, certainly lots of um, at least kind of rifle sized guns, if not some larger ones to under um, Eric Holt. Yeah, this is under Obama's administration, kind of uh, late first term Obama. Um, You had uh, all these guns go to the Mexican mafias and cartels, especially the Sinaloa cartel. And uh, when that was kind of found out because Mexican authorities were like, hey, there's like even more uh, American firearms um, coming into Mexico right now that we're taking off of, um, you know, cartel people. The U.S. said, oh, yeah, we meant to do that. Uh, We sent all these firearms down there so that you guys could track the serial number and then figure out who's in the cartels. Isn't that cool? And everyone's like, no, that's not cool. You just gave them a shitload of weapons. They already had a ton. Um, And then also um, the Gray Zone, shout outs. Aaron, thank you. You guys did some good reporting a couple years ago um, on how the U.S. Special Forces they trained a division of the Mexican um, paratroopers, I think, and their first tour of combat or maybe only tour of combat in the actual Mexican military was, um, you know, attacking the Zapatistas in Chiapas when they kind of um, they kind of revolted against NAFTA in the mid 90s and declared sort of autonomy or independence. And um, yeah, and then you had. Um, Almost all of that whole paratrooper unit that the U.S. Special Forces trained um, mass desert from the military and joined the Setas, which were kind of part of the Gulf cartel um, milieu. So for the U.S. And, and there's other instances, you know, U.S. intelligence uh, being heavily involved in drug trafficking themselves. Um, not that you know, thing these in its official capacity. 
You're breaking up a little. Huge problem for us. Um, you know, it's it's no more or less ironic or shitty than the U.S. saying we need to fight Al Qaeda, even though they created Al Qaeda under Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Um, and so, I, yeah, I'm really worried. And I think uh, if you think about where the U.S. military would be deployed, it would mostly be northern Mexico. Um, you know, to get to the Gulf Cartel, you don't have to go far from South Texas into Tamaulipas and, and Veracruz. Um, and to get to Sinaloa, you're just going, you know, from California, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, south. That's especially in the western regions closer to where the Sinaloa Cartel is. That's all where the lithium is in Mexico. You know, mm. Mexico has fairly large lithium reserves. Um, they nationalized their whole mining industry mid last year um, as a part of an overarching uh, <clears throat> reform of the whole entire energy sector that they were trying to do. Um, and so I think like under AMLO, Mexico is very oppositional to like U.S. business interests just running um running rampant throughout mexico as they have um under previous mexican administrations and you also have um amlo being very oppositional to the u.s foreign policy offering julian assange asylum saying the u.s should answer for the accusations of blowing up nord stream um and also you know basically telling the u.s to cut it out with the monroe doctrine boycotting the summit of the Americas over uh, so anyways you guys get the picture I um, I'm a little extra concerned I would really not like to see a second uh, U.S. invasion of Mexico yeah um, for many reasons but you know living here kind of makes it a little extra pertinent Um, but yeah I just wonder like do you guys think that this is really going to happen do you kind of agree that it's more likely to grab at the lithium and to kind of um, put a foot down against, you know, policies to reform Mexico from being a U.S. puppet state as it has been in the past. Um, as you know, really why this is going on, because like fentanyl coming over the border or, you know, fentanyl overdoses, there's a lot better ways to, well, you know, there's really only better ways to stop that than, than using military force against our neighbor. Um, but anyways, I wonder what you guys think. Yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert in this, but I think the drug war is a failure. It doesn't help with drug reduction. Um, and, you know, that is that is how the U.S. does it, right? They have, like, a fake humanitarian concern or yeah. law concern, and then they get in and do whatever is good for their geopolitical perceived geopolitical interests. Yeah. I guess uh, I also wonder what you guys think of, like, what would be kind of if you were to pitch a strategy um, for kind of convincing people about that who might not already be on board with ending the drug war or, you know, telling people that, look, yes, these mafias and cartels are a problem, but we probably shouldn't deal with them with the military. I guess I'm just curious, like, what would, if you were to preemptively try to counter that before this stuff even really goes very far in Congress? I mean, I guess looking at studies that show how much damage and violence the, the fighting the drug war has has caused and also looking at studies that show what really does help reduce drug use. 
but off the top of my head, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, I like the book um, Chasing the Scream um, by uh, Johan Hari, which is about the war on drugs. That's a good book. Okay, yeah, I'll check that out. I hadn't heard of I feel like I've heard, probably heard you mention Johan Hari or maybe that specific book before. He's been on but, well, he's been um, on before. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, and, okay. That's right. He's British. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Anyways, uh, you guys have a few more people in the call queue now, so I will just um, sign off and say thank you to both of you for the good work as always. Thanks, Andrew. Andrew's our Mexico stringer. Okay, Sterling. Good morning, useful idiots, and thank you for a great show. Um, thank you. Yeah, so I got this art. The article came through my Stubstack notification this morning from Aaron's OPCW article um, that I guess everybody should read because he's going to put a link in there um, about letter writing as far as your concerns and um, just getting more people involved in this because before I read it, I thought, let me do a deep dive a little bit into OPCW other than just the surface stuff that I've kind of gleaned over the years. And um, what I found was actually a real David and Goliath story um, with um, the OPCW being a complete global cartel. I mean, that Aaron is dealing with here. And it was actually kind of scary. And they kind of run under um, the same guise of gain and function research that you're um, serving a higher purpose for the greater good. And there was something called that they're, they, they're running called, um, what is it? The OPCW research support project. And it really is so shady, their mission statement and purpose. Their purpose states <clears throat> supporting small scale research, um, in the peaceful uses of chemistry in member states of developing, developing countries. Um, the side note, they boast 98% of the global population to be under their protection from, I guess, com chemical weapons. Um, there are only four non-member states, um, Egypt, South Sudan, uh, North Korea, and Israel. Their mission statement is really chilling. Um, it says to develop and promote member state scientific and, techno and technology, uh, technological knowledge in the field of chemistry for industrial, agricultural, medical and pharmaceutical and other peaceful purposes. So basically they're completely in bed with big agra, big pharma and big corporations. In the last two years alone, member states have contributed Denmark 224,000 euros, France 2.2 million, uh, Qatar gave 100,000 for a new OPCW center for chemistry and technology, um, Italy 50,000, Germany 400,000, Finland, etc. on and on and on. The US is not publicly listed. As far as I could read, as far as I could find, as publicly funding, but I mean, they basically own it, like they own the UN. I mean, I think what Aaron is dealing with here is really, really huge and incredibly shady. So, um, really, kudos for Aaron, and I hope people do really kind Letter. of write letters and like make this a bigger deal than the media is completely blocking this out. And um, yeah, well, thank you. So yeah, I was thanks, Thank you. I. I yeah. For those who don't know, I, I spoke at the UN on oh, Friday sorry. about the suit. No, 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 it's fine. Uh, okay. I, I appreciate you raising it. Uh, I, I'm just explaining that for those who don't know, I spoke at the UN on Friday about the um, OPCW's Syria cover-up scandal. And there's video of that. It's up at the Gray Zone's YouTube. And I just put out a new article this morning. And, uh, yeah. They threw it down this week, too. And uh, one thing I discussed is 
just getting to Sterling's point about the U.S. influence over OPCW, I mean, certainly that's been seen in this story about Syria, but also, like, the best example, I think, was when 20 years ago, right before the Iraq War, John Bolton, when he was working for the Bush administration, successfully engineered the ouster of the OPCW's first director general, Jose Bustani, because Bustani was bring Iraq into the Chemical Weapons Convention. And if he'd been successful, that would have messed up the Bush administration's plans to invade Iraq because that would have subjected Iraq to, con- to inspections, which would have shown that contrary to Bush's claims, Iraq had no chemical weapons program. So John Bolton flew over to The Hague, went into Bustani's office, threatened him, said to him, we know where your kids live. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And when Bustani refused to resign, held his ground, the U.S. engineered his ouster by pressuring enough countries to vote him out, even though Bustani had just recently been renewed for another five-year term. And fast forward to now, we're dealing with the serious scandal, this cover-up at the, at the OPCW over its investigation of uh, alleged incident in Duma, and Bustani wanted to come to the U.N. a few years ago to testify in support of the dissenting inspectors who challenged the Duma cover-up, and the U.S. and their allies blocked from speaking. And so... That's one of the episodes that I raised when I spoke at the UN on Friday. But very interestingly enough, and I'll have more on this um, on my show pushback very soon, Brazil, which is the home country of Jose Bustani, he's a Brazilian diplomat, they came out at this meeting on Friday in support of accountability at the OPCW for this cover-up, in support of the the inspectors, uh, in support of Jose Bustani, which is a huge change, which has happened because of Lula. He's the new president of Brazil, obviously. So that was a huge development. Uh, the British and U.S. representatives in the room were not happy about that. And that was a major sea change on the story. So but it's such I, do a, think things are, I do think things are changing a little bit. And that was, to me, a very encouraging development. That's huge. And it's something so obviously that should be a given. That these people policing themselves is like a complete joke. What I thought also was interesting about... Um, and really cool about Bustani, the little bit of reading I did was he wanted no part of it after that. It wasn't like he was begging to get his job back. He just saw how completely corrupt this whole thing was. And Arias, um, as far as he goes, Spain just gave $500,000, which was a lot considering their size when I was looking at the numbers of people who were contributing to it. And the whole, it's just, ugh, it's just completely shady. And like I said, I feel like there just need to be more people having your back on this. And I was on Twitter this morning and Phipps was, you know, countering everything you were saying and with an article from Bellingcat. So it was like, are you, I mean, it's ridiculous. They own everything. So they're going to always have these little media outlets that they promote as like just this great thing that's just, oh, it's just so sickening. And then they're going to use them. I mean, there has to be people holding all of these media people, these these huge global cartels accountable. So good for Brazil. That's great. I didn't know that yet. So anyway, great work. I was so proud to see you up there, Aaron. I thought you looked great. You did a wonderful job. And um, so I didn't want to get away from this useful idiots thing. Katie, you are always great. And um, thanks a lot. No, 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 you great. Thank you. Thanks, Tori. Have a good one. Bye. Uh, William. There's more on useful idiots. So it's a useful idiots thing, too. But also feel free to talk about stuff that's not useful idiots. All right. Hello, Aaron and Katie. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Hi, how are you today? Well, in the live chat, I, I want to scroll down. I put in some uh, articles I want to like to bring attention to. I think it's pertinent regarding misinformation, disinformation, and the weaponizing of psychiatry by governments. Have you heard anything about this, Katie? There's um, actually a bill in Washington State uh, I'm trying to scroll down to it, but people are adding. 
to the chat. Well, mine, it keeps moving. Um, where, uh, hold on a second. Okay. The first one I have is Dr. Bregan. He's talking about the history of the weaponizing of psychiatry by totalitarian type regimes, including in Nazi Germany, of course, and, um, to the present where we see it, um, weaponizing Canada, uh, people who, uh, had different uh, narrative uh, beliefs on COVID, uh, even doctors, uh, where psychiatry was weaponized in that ma- those matters. And also now in, uh, this bill in question in Washington state legislature, house bill 1333, establishing the domestic violent extremists commission would, according to its critics, criminalize thought and expression under an invented category of, of offenses. Hold on, just jumped around a little bit. Someone's adding. Um, uh, anyway, would this would give the district attorney, the state attorney power to uh, uh, bring uh, criminal charges uh, against suspected uh, people who are fighting the, the establishment narrative as political enemies? Um, and then weaponizing this, the school of psychiatry to do this. And how do they do that? Well, I had it happen personally to me twice, several times here in Connecticut. I think I've called, I've told you before, I have a thank you letter from the Attorney General of New York, Leticia James, which I put in the live chat, who got corroborating evidence on the priest who sexually assaulted me. But, but between the time that I reported it here in Connecticut and she got Collaborating evidence, which was a couple of years, they weaponized psychiatry here, had me arrested for allegedly harassing people while I was reporting the crime, then used their psych mechanisms to claim I was delusional. Wow. Meanwhile, wow. you see the thank you letter from her, because eventually her office got corroborating evidence on this priest sexually assaulting students and other priests at Fordham, big scandal at Fordham including the first Cardinal DeFrock in 500 years, Cardinal McCarrick. So, you know, uh, so in the way it all blew up in their face here in Connecticut, they stopped arresting me, finally, four times in four years, because I wasn't going to back off. And um, I got all those criminal cases dropped, of course. But um, what they did was they used, every state has, Katie, what they call Department Mental Health Addictive Services on the state and federal level, which are uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers that work for the state. They are DPH licensed, but they work specifically for the states through the courts. And so they came up with psych evals based on interviewing me. Well, I don't know where they're coming from because they're, you know, talking to me like I'm talking to you. And meanwhile, this all blew up in their face. It just took a matter of time for the investigation at Leticia's office to complete. You see what I'm saying? Right? So you see there's evidence in the live chat that I have a thank you letter from Leticia James. She's the only attorney general, by the way. Thank God for her in the United States of America to sue the Catholic Church for failure to protect children. Yeah. Imagine 50 states. She's the only one to do it. Wow. That is pathetic. That is. Thank you for noting that. This is another reason for my call. I've talked about this before. I want to keep bringing attention to this. Where are the attorney generals? 
Where's the DOJ? We know this has been happening. They have their own canon laws that completely impeach them, called Crimean solicitations, by the way, which which they use to hide and harbor their pedophiles and pederasts. And that's an, another thing I could put in the live chat. That's called Crimean solicitations. They have laws on their own canon laws that impeach them. Uh, international sex trafficking and racketeering. And so... We only had one attorney general. Now, she set the standard with Tisha James by filing her lawsuit in November 2020. December 2020, the Trump administration, William Barr, basically shut down the DOJ investigation into the church, completely undermining her, and we've seen nothing else from the DOJ. Wow. What was his justification for shutting it down? Statute of limitations issues, which, by the way, are different in every state. But the problem here is the legislature. Here's why, Katie. There's basically a two-year statute of limitations in most states for reporting a sex crime. That's, that's uh, Unless it's a felony sex crime. In other words, if it's a misdemeanor, say your child gets groped, which is how it usually starts. You follow me, you know. And, and always the perp is going to try and intimidate the victim. Like if you tell, especially now, the UN report in the Vatican said there should be no statute of limitations in this crime on the, um, 2011. And the reason for that is, imagine your child, if a priest sexually assaults your child or a rabbi or anybody who's in clergy level, and says, um, if you tell, God is going to punish your mommy. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yep. So now years go by with that child can, can come, and maybe never, but maybe at some point come to the place where they can want to talk about it and say, hey, look, that was really sick what happened, and I was afraid for you, mom, you know what I mean, or dad, and that's why, but now the statute of limitations long gone for criminal. Right. Maybe civil, maybe, because they those civil statutes have windows too. So this is all brought out by the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops lobbying money in the, in the House and Senate of every state. So the D, now the DOJ, when they did their investigation, what they did, Kevin, they opened their investigation. Remember the Pennsylvania grand jury investigation made a big splash? Yes. Right? So that was heinous. They were putting gold chains on the children with crosses and marking the ones because certain children freeze. You know what I mean? Certain ch certain children react different ways. The ones who froze were the ones they marked that they could do this to, and the kids were not going to talk. That's sick. That's how they were marking them, and the other priests knew which were the easy marks, right? So... The DOJ opens their investigation. Attorney Shapiro splashes it. it. Even Shep Smith was visibly upset when he interviewed uh, Attorney Shapiro uh, when Shep was with uh, Fox, yeah. right? And I saw that interview. Kudos to Shep for that. And so, but the problem is... <laughs> The statute of limitations has, they even had, they still can't get the statute of limitations changed in Pennsylvania. And they've been free, 2005, 2000, I'm trying to get the numbers right. You know, 2005, I think it was 2011 or eight and 2018. There's been three grand jury investigations in Pennsylvania. There has been zero in Connecticut. 
right? And so the problem we have here is the power of the church, not just in the United States, but internationally, yeah. where it thwarts, even they even, Katie, in the 2014 UN investigation to the Catholic Church, Catholic Church system was not complicit. This uh, 2011 or 2014, I'm trying to remember. They just didn't comply. Right. If you do that in a civil investigation, you know what that's known as? Adverse inference or tacit evidence of guilt. It's kind of like, you know, you're not complying because you're hiding, you know, information. You're not cooperating, you know. But in this, there was no criminal charges in, or civil charges brought. It was a U.N. investigation. Well, Bill, yes. uh, I want to thank you. can Definitely bring this up again, but I there's just more people online. I oh, of course, of course, yeah. All of this and thanks for sharing and your personal stuff too, because it's really brave. Really yeah, brave. and thanks for advocating. Yeah, as Yaya says, and definitely come back with more updates. I appreciate you giving me the time and 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 Aaron too. Thanks so much, y'all. Thank you. You're welcome. Goodbye. Bye. Okay, Laura. Hi, Katie. Hey, hi, Aaron. I have a couple of comments, one more directed towards Katie, one more directed towards Aaron. Um, so I don't know if you recall, but a couple of weeks ago or last week, I don't remember exactly, I called in to talk a little bit about Canada and we're on our immigration problems um, having to do with migrants coming in mostly into Quebec yeah. from, from New York. Um, recently, your president came to Ottawa, our capital, um, to talk a little bit to our prime minister and to our um, government, and they actually came to a deal. So I guess I wanted to know, had you been following that at all? Just a coincidence. I had no idea he was coming. It's, you know, we don't get maybe, notice time or anything. Maybe listen to the call-in. Oh, sorry. I, 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 I couldn't, I can get up that early. I'm sorry, but um, I'll, I'll take a Listened to the call-in. I'm joking. Maybe Trudeau and uh, oh, right. I you know what uh, Trudeau and I aren't on the best of terms, so um, oh. I doubt that he would have listened to to me call call into your great show. But um, that I I'm happy to see that there's some kind of result. Um, I'll just give you my like very very quick two cents. Um, they offered to uh, allow Canadians to turn back migrants um, for in exchange for Canada to allow fifteen thousand additional um like refugee or like official uh legal refugees from from the US so like to most most political um people who are following it here think it's a really good deal for Canada i of course like want more migration so i don't know if it's a good deal or just a, the only deal that could have been made but i guess i was wondering had you guys heard of this and what what what's your guys's view from an american perspective on that particular subject well, I did see it. I haven't really followed up on it. It looked like it was not the best thing for migrants, um, but I haven't read up enough about it. And Aaron, of course, is an interesting perspective as someone born and raised in Canada. Okay, um, I'll I'll do a little bit more digging into it because it wasn't the only deal that the only part of the deal that was made. So um, I guess I just wanted to to give you guys a chance to opine a little bit on that. The the second thing um, is that I've recently had some really in depth conversations with some of my friends, and my friends are in general very liberal, very left. Um, and uh, I was absolutely shocked when I brought up the Ukraine Russia crisis and how like basically it's my view that um, the West and especially the United States, but also Canada and also every other Western European country um, should stop funding the defense of um, 
of, of Ukraine because it's just prolonging a stalemate war that's just killing both Ukrainians and Russians. And I was absolutely flabbergasted when I was just met with a like um, entrenched view. Well, we can't appease Putin. We can't allow for him to have anything in this in this conflict. So I guess I was hoping that either you or Aaron could could give me a little bit of ammunition or 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 just just more arguments because i i i feel so strongly that like lives are worth more than appeasement but but how how can i address those kinds of arguments well i'll i'll respond aaron i'm sure you have stuff to say about this and maybe the canada thing too but uh i mean what i think is useful is is going about is knowing how much these countries uh have blocked peace. I think that can be very useful once people realize that. I think they start questioning the premise of the war. But then some people don't. We've talked about this on the show before. It's kind of disappointing. Like I, I used to think and kind of assume, and I talked about this on my show last week on the Katie Halpert show with Dennis Kucinich and Matthew Ho, uh, how we used to, I used to assume that if we could just show people that the West was opposed to peace, they would start being skeptical about the West motives. But as you kind of referred to, a lot of people are just like, oh, no, we can't let Putin make any gains and this will be rewarding Putin. So I think that another way to do it is um, uh, just showing, like you said, the the uh, casualties um, and how this is a proxy war. It's not about defending Ukrainians. The fact that, you know, the United States says out loud that a ceasefire is unacceptable like, why are they saying that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They- I totally agree. I did bring up the the stuff that the U.S. and that Britain and that, um, like, it, like the the I don't know if it was on your guys' show, but the um, previous Israeli uh, yeah, uh, prime minister what- had specifically talked about how the U.S. had had sabotaged peace right. talks early on in the conflict. I I did bring up those things. So yeah. I, I I hear you and I, I guess I'm just expressing that that I'm disappointed and, and I'm sure you guys are disappointed too with a lot of people who otherwise might agree with you on other other fronts. Yeah. But it is disappointing. No longer shocking, but disappointing. Well thank you so much for taking my call, Katie. I, I follow you guys and um have have a great one and I'll continue listening in. Thanks. Um, Jason. Hello. Hi. I uh, just wanted to call in quick. Thank both of you. Uh, Katie, thanks for being awesome. Aaron, I wanted to thank you for uh, um, calling out Ryan Grimm on Twitter about the uh, Intercept being like fully uh, reader funded. Had I not seen your tweet under his tweet, I would have thought the Intercept was a uh, making a change of tune and being reader supported, but it doesn't really seem that way. So thanks for calling them out and uh, not letting that slide. No, thanks. Uh, for those who don't know, and, and again, you know, I should stress, I like Ryan. I think he's, um, you know, although I disagree with him sometimes, and I don't appreciate that The Intercept has ignored the OPCW scandal and has uh, pushed the uh, Trump administration's line that Syria was guilty of a chemical attack in Duma, and then subsequently ignored all the evidence that's come out from the OPCW leaks to undermine that. I think that's a really disappointing aspect of the coverage. Ryan himself is a hardworking reporter, and although I don't like also his attacks on Jimmy Dore, I, I think uh, he does a lot of good work. But I, I did point out that 
he was claiming on Twitter that the intercept's going independent. And what I pointed out is simply that um, their new board members are all people who are very heavily tied to their owner, Piero Midiar. Uh, and like one of their boot new board members is a senior advisor to a Midiar. And I just don't know how you can claim you're going independent when your new board and your new C- and uh, it, it, yeah, but when your new board is filled with people who are very close to the owner you're supposedly being independent from. And I also pointed out that one of the new board members is a comes from is also has a position with the National Endowment for Democracy, oh, yeah, yeah. which is a U.S. intelligence front. And I just think that's like, I mean, I, I don't expect the Intercept to change their editorial line because I think they're just going to be who they are. But um, to to have someone on your board who is from a U.S. intelligence front that is involved in regime change operations around the world, when you're supposed to be covering aggressively the national security state, I just think that's hilarious. But also, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's really derelict. And so that's what I called that as well. Is there a yeah. claim that they're a new fi- it's a new financial setup? Uh I, yeah, the, they're going to be taking less money from from Omidyar. I, I think that's the, the goal. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen any details. So I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen any details of what they're actually doing on that front. And maybe Omidyar will be giving them less money. But still, if you're claiming you're you're going independent, but you're still appointing people who you know work with or work for your your owner, I just don't see how that flies. Yeah. Yeah, so I do appreciate you calling that out because um, I probably wouldn't have looked into the details like you did. And um, I used to really like The Intercept, and I do like Ryan Grimm. Um, I mean, ever since The Interrupt kind of kicked Greenwald out over the laptop story and then some of their other recent stuff, I just uh, kind of had some friction with. But um, anyway, I hope you both have a good week, and thanks for taking my call. Thanks. You too, Jason. Bye. Okay, Ramona. You're unmuted, so just ask your question. Ramona, are you there? Hello, hello, hello. All right, we got more callers, so uh, if you jump back on the queue, we'll get to you. But not, we can't hear you, so Lucius. Hello, how are you? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I was just wondering, um, random, and I missed, uh, I always walk dogs at this time, so I'm a little out of breath as a given and have often missed the YouTube show, but um, I was wondering, in light of the recent uh, Rage Against the War Machine rally um, and the subsequent much more mainstream organizations, I think it was Answer and Code Pink, rally. Um, there's clearly a lot of energy there, and this show is very much in alignment with that, I've found. Um, and I was just wondering if either you or Aaron plans to be a speaker or co-organize or something along those lines for an anti-interventionism event in the future. Because that would be cool. Um, so I apologize. Just, I, I apologize. I, I've been a little distracted because I'm fighting with a British diplomat right now on Twitter. <laughs> so, sorry, cut one more time. British diplomat, you'll fight right after the call-in. Can you can you uh, can you can you repeat that? I'm sorry. Um, yes. So basically, uh, I was asking, in light of the two recent uh, anti-war 
rallies, basically the Rage Against the War Machine and the subsequent, I think, Answer Coalition Code Pink rally. I was wondering if either of you um, has, like, taken an interest in maybe co-organizing one of these events or at least uh, no, being, no, being a speaker. I no, no, I don't um, do activism. I just think, I just, I mean, I think activism is essential and it's great. And I, the people who do it are, are my heroes. But for me personally, um, I, I focus on, I focus on journalism and I, you know, that's my focus. So, okay. I yeah. totally respect that. And I can't really fault you for, you know, what you do, like speaking in front of the UN. So yeah. Um, you're, you're putting your energy where you choose and much respect yeah. on that. Um, and how about you, Katie? Um, I mean, I will, I will sometimes speak at rallies. I'm not really like, I guess I would say kind of like what Aaron said. I mean, my focus is not on being a full-time organizer. So I would like help with someone else took the lead. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yep. Oh, sorry. God, you're breaking up there. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's all like choppy, but, um, okay. Yeah. I got the, the gist and much respect for that position as well. I was just, I've been thinking about like all this left infighting, right. the, basically the rage against the war machine rally. I thought I, I really liked the spirit of it, but the organizers included like, you know, Nick Brana, Jackson Hinkle and Tulsi Gabbard, who are all just the biggest lightning rods for the sort of NATO left on YouTube. And so it was just a setup for failure in that sense of being at least perceived as a very divisive approach when actually from what I've heard, I haven't seen every speech, but nobody did anything pro-war. It was the speeches themselves were very anti-war and, you know, message consistent. So um, then the answer one came along, but then it was kind of like a lot of people that supported the first one were feeling a little burned by Code Pink saying Medea Benjamin shouldn't speak at it and yeah it's just it's all so messy i i think that your show uh brings a lot of people together ideologically just through a real common sense critical thinking approach that sometimes gets away from some of the drama like the teenage middle school stuff um that's going on between influencers on the left so, we yeah. are the we are the care bears of leftist media. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah Way, the left is way too small for us to be so divided. I mean, everyone has their different red lines, but yeah. Yeah, um, it's like nobody disagrees on universal health care and so many things. Um, there should be this Venn diagram central space where everybody can meet up. And uh, the key is just to be amiable, you know, and civil and nice and not think the worst of people. So, yeah, you, you do that very well, both of you. Thanks. So, yeah. Okay, that's all I got. Um, <laughs> yeah, have a great day. You too. Okay. And we got Joe and then we got to get to Bill because Bill was asking a question in the um, actual uh, YouTube. So Joe, then Bill. Hey, uh, everyone. Aaron, I hope my follow-up email yesterday found you well. Um, if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, not a problem. And uh, I think Katie would be interested in getting a copy of that, you know, as well. Um, I got a letter from Jim McGovern that was very, very enlightening. Um, so yeah, I sent that over to Aaron yesterday, uh, for his reading pleasure and also some encouragement regarding the, uh, UN speech, but onto the topic of 
banning TikTok, um, I've recently come across a conversation regarding linguistic relativity and linguistic imperialism. And I think that's a really good conversation and topic to broach when we're getting into the banning of stuff like this and controlling content in general. Um, because the, bas- the basis of linguistic relativity is if you've ever been in a pickle or been waiting on bated breath, then you're drawing on a shared mimetic um, experience that was started with Shakespeare and his writings. Um, and the way that linguistic imperialism ties into that is if you have the dominant language, then you get to control the narrative. Imagine if we never, never even heard or understood the concept of Schoenfraud or any of those other wonderful words from other languages that we don't have in English to express a feeling. Um, so a lot of this is the, the big picture conversation I think we need to be having is controlling content and thus controlling context and what we receive and how we perceive the reality we're in right now. And with that, I think I'm about done my lunch break or my 15 minute break at work. So I'll uh, take any comments after off the, uh, off the line. Thank you, Joe. Unfortunately, your latter question is too abstract for me, so I, I can't answer it. But I, I, I'm, I'm just seeing. I did get your email about your McGovern letter, and I will read that when I get the chance. It's been, a, it's been a busy time for me, so you, you have to uh, uh, wait for that. It'll, it'll take me a little bit because I have a lot to get to. Um, Katie, do you have any thoughts on that? No, just interesting. Okay, thought, okay yeah, but, yeah. The McGovern letter. All right, Bill, go ahead. Hey, sorry about uh, got joined this late. I wasn't sure if you're going to get to me. I'm actually, uh, you know, not. I'm supposed to be working, <laughs> and then and then the call and chat wouldn't work. But anyway, okay, I'm here. Um, long story short, um, so yeah, I'm pretty impressed. I stayed up most of the night watching, uh, you know, live feeds from Israel. Six hundred thousand people in the street. It's that's pretty like one something like five percent of the whole country is in the street protesting a general strike, which I always love to see. And I'm from, I'm from Seattle and that's, uh, you know, we have a history of general strikes uh, from when back in the wobbly days and someday maybe we'll see that again in the United States or maybe not. But anyway, long story short, I'm, I was pretty impressed. And also the, the thing I was impressed by the most was that reserve units of the IDF were refor- re- refusing to report. And uh, that's, I think, a really good sign. Anyway, I'm much more of an optimist than what my impression of uh, Katie's views on Israel. But um, I don't know. In a long-term strategy to try to solve this problem, which is, you know, (laughs) one of the biggest problems in geopolitical history, um, it does seem to me that um, we, we are going to have to try to find some some sort of um, center-left solution in Israel for um, you know, a political solution. And, you know, hopefully what will happen is um, the, this coalition will break today. And uh, <laughs> he's apparently uh, Netanyahu won't speak because if he speaks, um, 
uh, he might lose his coalition immediately. He's waiting for protesters from the counter protesters to show up and they're trying to have a little a knockdown drag out fight. It's my opinion. But long story short, I do, do you see any hope at all for the fact that 600,000 people in Israel went to the street to uh, stand up for something that we all should be in favor of, which is uh, a democratic uh, situation where, you know, judicial, the, the judicial side of things are not interfered with. And it's so obvious what they're trying to do and, uh, you know, insisted on by those right wing parties. And, and so that, I think it's really hopeful and I'm hoping that you feel the same. And, and I know I've, I've listened to a lot of what you've said, Katie, not so much from Aaron, but um, about Israel's politics. How do you feel about there? Is there any hope? I mean, I mean, that's the problem is that they're protesting judicial overhaul, uh, which is good, but they, it's, they're not protesting the occupation or the treatment of Palestinians. So I'm not that optimistic. Right. But so I, if you, the problem is that they don't, there, there doesn't seem to be, so there used to be a, another party. I forget the name of it. That was, uh, Likud members, but also like members of, of labor and members of some of the other parties. I don't see a left, a left side solution or, or it seems like they kind of lost that party. I don't know why it was, why it failed. I don't know enough about it, the history, but so doesn't there have to be some sort of political organizing in Israel to actually see reform? Yeah. It just, that would be good if they focused on the occupation, which they don't. So, I mean, a, a big critique that I've been seeing from a lot of people is that this is just an exacerbation of, a, of the situation. It's not actually that much of a departure. And it is, I mean, it's, it's almost like the Trump discussion about how he was a departure, but he also was less of a departure than people were making it out to be. So if they do get there, kind of, if they are able to block this judicial reform, what happens next? Okay, they just go back to the, to the occupation. Well, if they lose the coalition government, there's a possibility of new elections. And then they just need to organize around other things. And there are people that that view what the, the hard line that this government was taking is just out of left field and something that's just ridiculous. And and I know there's there's got to be people in Israel. There's a lot of people that came from America. There's a lot of people. Yeah, that, but the ones who come from America are like, for the most part, totally right wing. Oh, they're the worst. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, because people who go there, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the hardcore um, yeah. Zionists. But you know, <laughs> I don't know. I just I try to be hopeful. You know, Katie. I just you know, I just yeah. know America. America's never going to push them. If the idea is to get America to rise up, and Americans to rise up and like force Israel by taking money away. To be more re reasonable and realistic, or the invest, you know, the things that like Roger Waters does, does and things like that. I just really question. I mean, whether that will have any effectiveness as long as America is willing to send millions and millions of dollars for arms and to the to the Israeli government. And I don't know. I mean, um, I well, I mean, you never know what's, I mean, it, it's, look, I think that the comparison with South Africa is often overstated because there are major differences um, on many fronts, but I, you know, it's like they probably didn't think that that was going to happen. Yeah, that's yeah. true. It, they had, um, it was just, 
I mean, I don't think we don't, you know, the South Africans didn't have a, a lobby, you know, in the United States, did they? Yes, and there wasn't anti, there's not the equivalent of anti-Semitism. Right. So that gets to be weaponized. Um, it's certainly weaponized. Well, anyway, that's what I had to say. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. All righty. That was a great call in, everyone. See you next week. Don't forget to subscribe to uh, usefulidiots.substack.com, usefulidiots.locals.com, youtube.com slash usefulidiots. And also, of course, uh, rate and review uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, everyone. Make sure you join the Substack or the Locals because we're going to do a discussion with Aaron about his testimony at the uh, UN. Okay. Shit. Oops, did I curse? Okay. I thought I ended the room by accident.